are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's reading, I invite you to head over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and you'll be able to interact with other followers and listeners, sharing your own insights with them and engaging in dialogue with one another. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, Stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 181. We are reading from Volume 2, Book 4, Chapter 30, Paragraph 702 to 711. Today, we will finish Volume 2 of The Mystical City of God. Chapter 30 Jesus, Mary, and Joseph return to Nazareth at the command of the Lord. 702 The child Jesus reached the end of his seventh year while in Egypt, which was also the term set by the eternal wisdom for his mysterious sojourn in that land. In order that the prophecies might be fulfilled, it was necessary that he return to Nazareth. This decree the Eternal Father intimated to his Most Holy Son on a certain day in the presence of his Holy Mother. And while she was with him in prayer, she saw it mirrored in his deified soul, and she saw how he submitted to it in obedience to the Father. Therein the Great Lady joined him, although they had already become better acquainted and habituated to their present abode than to their own native city of Nazareth. Neither the Mother nor the Son made known to St. Joseph this new decree of heaven. But in that very night, the angel of the Lord spoke to him in his sleep, as Matthew relates, Matthew 2.19, and bade him take the child and his mother and return to the land of Israel. For Herod and those who with him had sought the life of the child were dead. So much value does the Almighty set on the proper order in created things, that though Jesus was the true God and his mother so highly exalted above St. Joseph in sanctity, He did not permit the arrangements of this journey to proceed from his son, nor from his mother, but from St. Joseph, who was the head of his family. God intended to teach all mortals that he wished all things to be governed by the natural order set up by his providence, and that the inferiors and subjects of the mystical body of the church, even though they may excel in virtue and in certain other respects, must obey and submit to their superiors and prelates in the visible order. 703 St. Joseph immediately notified the child Jesus and his mother of the command of the Lord, and both of them answered that the will of the Heavenly Father must be done. Thereupon they resolved upon their journey without delay, immediately distributing among the poor the little furniture contained in their dwelling. This was done by the hands of the Divine Child, for the Heavenly Mother often consigned into his hands what she had destined as alms to the poor, 
knowing that the child is the God of mercy, loved to exercise it with his own hands. Matthew twenty five forty. When she gave him these alms, the Most Holy Mother, falling on her knees, said, Take, my son and Lord, whatever thou desirest, in order to share with the poor, our friends and brothers. The blessed dwelling, which had been sanctified and consecrated for seven years by the presence of the high priest Jesus, was left in the possession of certain of the most devout and pious persons in Heliopolis. Their virtue and holiness had gained them a favor which they could not now fully estimate, although on account of what they had seen and experienced, they counted themselves indeed fortunate to occupy the same house in which these strangers had lived for seven years. This affectionate devotion was rewarded by abundant light and grace for their eternal salvation. 704. They departed for Palestine in the company of the angels, as on their way thence. The great queen sat on the ass with the divine child on her lap, and St. Joseph walked afoot, closely following the son and mother. On account of the loss of such great benefactors, their acquaintances and friends were very sorrowful at the news of their departure. With incredible weeping and sighing, they saw them leave, knowing and loudly complaining that they were now losing all their consolation and refuge in their necessities. If the divine power had not interfered, the Holy Family would have found great difficulty in leaving Heliopolis. For its inhabitants began to feel the night of their miseries, secretly setting upon their hearts at the parting of the sun, which had dispersed and brightened its darkness. John 1, nine. In traversing the inhabited countries, they passed through some towns of Egypt, where they scattered their graces and blessings. The news of their passage spreading about all the sick, the afflicted, and disconsolate gathered to seek them out, and they found themselves relieved in body and soul. Many of the sick were cured. Many demons were expelled without their knowing who it was that thus hurled them back to hell. Yet they felt the divine power which compelled them and wrought such blessings among men. 7.05 I will not tarry to relate the particular events of this journey of the child Jesus and his most blessed mother out of Egypt, for it is not necessary, nor could it be done without extending this history too much. It will suffice to say that all who came to them with greater or less devotion left their presence enlightened with truth, assisted by grace, and wounded with the love of God. They felt a secret force which urged and compelled them to the pursuit of virtue, and while withdrawing them from the paths of death, showed them the way of eternal life. They came to the Son, drawn to Him by the Father, and they turned to the Father, sent there by the divine light of Christ's truth, which enkindled their souls with the knowledge of the true God. Nevertheless, he concealed himself, since it was not yet time to reveal himself openly. But the fire which he had come to enkindle and spread in this world secretly and incessantly produced its divine effects among men. 706. Having thus fulfilled the mysteries decreed by the divine will and issuing from the inhabited regions of this country, which they had signalized by their miracles, our heavenly pilgrims entered the desert through which they had come. In it... They again suffered labors and difficulties similar to those of their flight from Palestine. For the Lord continued to permit hardships and tribulation in order to afford them occasion of merit and provide a proper relief. He administered to these necessities by the hands of the angels, as in the first 
journey, or sometimes the child Jesus himself commanded them to provide sustenance. Very often, St. Joseph, in order that he might become more sensible of the divine favor, was permitted to hear these commands, and saw how these spirits obeyed and readily procured what was wanted. This greatly encouraged and consoled the holy patriarch in his sorrow and anxiety for the king and queen of heaven. At other times, the divine child made use of his omnipotence and created all that was necessary to supply their wants out of a crumb of bread. The rest of the journey was similar to the journey described before in chapter 22. Therefore, I do not think it necessary to repeat the description. When, however, they arrived at the confines of Palestine, the anxious husband was informed that Archelaus had succeeded Herod his father in the government of Judea, Matthew 2.22. Fearing this, with the sovereignty he had inherited, also his cruelty, St. Joseph turned from his route without going to Jerusalem or entering Judea, and passed through the land of the tribe of Dan and Issachar, below Galilee, following the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and passing Jerusalem to his right. 707. They reached Nazareth, their home, for the child was to be called a Nazarene. They found their former humble house in charge of the devout cousin of St. Joseph, who, as I have mentioned in the twelfth chapter of the third book, had offered to serve him while our queen was absent in the house of Elizabeth. Before they had left Judea for Egypt, St. Joseph had written to this woman, asking her to take care of the house and what it contained. They found it all in good condition, and his cousin received them with great joy on account of her love for the great queen, though at the same time she did not know of her dignity. The heavenly lady entered with her son and St. Joseph, and immediately she prostrated herself in adoration of the Lord, and in thanksgiving, having led them safe from the cruelty of Herod, to this retreat and preserved them in the dangers of their banishment and their long and arduous journeys. Above all, did she render thanks for having returned in company with her son, now grown both in years and in grace and virtue. Luke 2.40 708 Taking counsel with her divine child, she proceeded to set up a rule of life and regulate her pious practices. Not that she was failed to observe a rule of life on her journey, for the most prudent lady, in imitation of her son, had always observed the most perfect order according to circumstances. But being now peacefully settled in her home, she wished to include many exercises which on the journey were impossible. Her greatest solicitude was always to cooperate with her most holy son for the salvation of souls, which was the work most urgently enjoined upon her by the Eternal Father." Toward this most high end, our queen directed all her practices in union with the Redeemer, and this was their constant occupation, as we shall see in the course of the second part. The Holy Joseph also ordered his occupations and his work, so as most worthily to earn sustenance for the divine child and his mother, as well as for himself. That which in other sons of Adam is considered a punishment and a hardship was to this holy patriarch a great happiness. For while others were condemned to sustain their natural life by the labor of their hands and the sweat of their brows, St. Joseph was blessed and consoled beyond measure to know that he had been chosen by his labor and sweat to support God himself and his mother, to whom belonged heaven and earth and all that they contain. Esther 13.10 7.09 The queen of the angels herself undertook to pay the debt of gratitude due to St. Joseph for his labors and solicitude. 
Accordingly, she provided his meals and attended to his comforts with incredible care and most loving gratitude. She was obedient to him in all things and humbled herself before him, as if she were his handmaid and not his spouse, or what is more, not the mother of the Creator and Lord of all. She accounted herself unworthy of existence and of being suffered to walk upon the earth, for she thought it just that she should be in want of all things. In the consciousness of having been created out of nothing and therefore unable to make any return for either this benefit or according to her estimation for any of the others, she established in herself such a rare humility that she thought herself less than the dust and unworthy to mingle with it. For the least favor she gave admirable thanks to the Lord as to the first cause and the origin of them all and to creatures as to the instruments of his bounty. To some she gave thanks because they conferred favors upon her, to others because they had denied them, and to others, again, because they bore with her in patience, she acknowledged herself as indebted to all of them. Though she filled them with the blessings of sweetness and placed herself at the feet of all, seeking ingenious means and artifices to let no instant and no occasion pass for practicing the most perfect and exalted virtues, to the admiration of the angels, and the pleasure and the delight of the Most High. Instruction which the Queen of Heaven gave me. 7.10 My daughter, while journeying at the command of the Lord from one country to another, and during the works enjoined upon me, my heart was never troubled, nor my spirit cast down, for I always held myself prepared to fulfill entirely the will of God. Although the Lord made known to me his high ends, yet this was not always done at the beginning thus permitting me to endure so much the greater sufferings. For in obeying the Lord, no further reason is necessary than that the Lord Creator so commands and disposes. The souls must accustom themselves to look for this motive alone and to learn solely to please the Lord without distinguishing between fortunate or unfortunate events and without looking to their own inclinations. In this kind of wisdom I wish that thou advance in imitation of me, and to satisfy thy obligations toward my most holy Son, do thou receive prosperity or adversity in this mortal life, with unmoved countenance, and with equanimity and peace of mind. Let not the one grieve, nor the other vainly rejoice thee, but attend only to all that which the Almighty ordains according to his pleasure. 7.11 Human life is interwoven thus variously with both kinds of events, some of them according, others contrary to the likings of mortals, some which they abhor, others which they desire. As the human heart is limited and narrow, it immoderately inclines to extremes, boundlessly desiring what it loves and likes, and on the other hand, grieving and sorrowing at what it abhors and dislikes. These changeful moods and fluctuations create danger for all or many virtues. The disorderly love for one creature which it cannot attain moves the soul presently to desire another, expecting a balm for its disappointment in the former. And if it is successful, the soul becomes involved and flurried in the desire of retaining what it possesses, thus casting itself by these velities into still greater disorders and passions. Attend, therefore, dearest, to this danger, and attack it at the root by preserving thy heart independent, and riveted only on the divine providence, 
without ever allowing it to incline toward what it desires or longs for, or to abhor what is painful to it. Let the will of the Lord be thy only delight and joy. Let neither thy desires draw thee on, nor thy fears dishearten thee. Let not thy exterior occupations and much less thy regard or attention to creatures ever impede thee or divert thee from thy holy exercises, attending always to my example. Seek thou lovingly and diligently to follow in my footsteps. This concludes our reading today for day number 181. We read from volume 2, book 4, chapter 30, paragraph 702 to 711. We have completed volume 2, The Incarnation of the Mystical City of God. It's incredible for us to think about the reality that we have completed another volume. Two volumes in, two to go. We are halfway through the year. And today's reading, as we conclude, kind of brings to a close um, the flight into Egypt that we heard about, that now the family is departing. We hear some facts. For example, a few days ago, I asked, well, what did they do with the furniture that Joseph made? Well, we found out they gave it away. They gave it to the poor, Jesus. Mary sends him out so that he could give it to those who were in need. We know that the angel comes to Joseph and tells him to leave Egypt to return home. But we also heard that Jesus learns of it from the Heavenly Father as well. And so he obeys what the Heavenly Father is inviting him to do. That's what our first paragraph of today's reading, 702, said. She saw it mirrored in his deified soul, and she saw how he submitted to it in obedience to the Father. And so I think that's a great encouragement for us. We are called to live in imitation of Christ. And so to imitate Christ, we must be obedient to the Father, asking God, what do you will? How am I to carry this out? And then we obey that voice of God. There was great sorrow over the people in Egypt as they were leaving because they knew that God had blessed them for this time was something so very special that we heard that the fire that God wished to ignite, he already began to do so in the people in Egypt during this time in which they were in exile. And so people will miss Jesus. And of course, it's for them that Jesus will die on the cross. He dies on the cross for the salvation of the world. And so Jesus from the cross will remember these people for whom he is giving up his life. And you wonder, as the story of Jesus, as it will be told, and as it will reach Egypt, you wonder if any of these people will remember that young boy with that family, maybe remember his name as Jesus, and then recall and know that the one who died on the cross was the Son of God. Today, we had another question answered that was in the back of my head, namely, who took care of their home in Nazareth, and we heard today, a relative of Joseph. And they returned to that home, and you wonder what their neighbors thought, what the people in the village thought. Well, where did this family go for so long, and why have they returned? I am looking forward to starting Volume 3 tomorrow. I'm sure Volume 3 is going to take us, I'm just guessing, going out on a limb here, we're going to 
learn about these hidden years of Jesus that aren't contained in the scriptures. So from the flight into Egypt to the presentation in the temple, from the presentation in the temple and onward. It's in volume three that we'll have the passion, death, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So this is going to bring us all throughout the life and ministry of Christ. I think this would be a good volume to invite people to tune into the mystical city of God, to begin reading volume three. It's okay if you haven't read volume one or volume two. Tell your friends, invite those you think that might benefit from this spiritual work. Ask them to tune in and to begin to learn about the ministry and life of Jesus as we make our way through now, beginning tomorrow, Volume 3. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.